0: So we last left Habakkuk uh, in uh, a state of lament. He was praying um, for the who knows how many uh, nth time, uh, the hundredth, the thousandth. He, he's praying and praying and praying, um, and he's lamenting over the situation of the life of the people of God, and um, and so he is. Uh, he's he's just poured out his heart to the Lord in Habakkuk uh, 2, 1, verses 2 through 4. And uh, now, at this point, God responds uh, and answers Habakkuk's prayer. And um, we're going to see there uh, that the response, though, is is probably not what Habakkuk would have preferred. Um, And so let's do this. Let's pray. Uh, Let's ask for God's help and his presence, and uh, then we'll dive in. Father, I just ask that you would encourage those who are watching this now, who are watching on replay or listening to the podcast, and just encourage their hearts and uh, fill them with faith, fill them by your spirit. Um, Christ, I pray you'd be real and present to them, that when your answer to us is hard to accept and and almost unbelievably hard, um, that we would remain as people of faith. Um, And that we would be people who trust you because you are trustworthy. You're worthy of our trust. And that we would remember that and we would be beacons of hope in this season in our culture. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So let's recap. I'm going to read Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. um, And then we'll get into how God responds to Habakkuk. So Habakkuk 1, 1, the pronouncement. Remember we talked about how that word actually means burden. That The prophet Habakkuk saw. So this... Habakkuk is a prophet, is a man with divine clarity in a season of clouded vision or a culture of clouded vision. And what's interesting about Habakkuk is most prophets speak to the people on God's behalf, but Habakkuk actually speaks to God on the people's behalf. And Habakkuk prays to the Lord. He says, how long, Lord, must I cry for help and you do not listen or cry to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing?" Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore, justice comes out perverted. So, we saw there that this is the pattern of, of faithful protest um, to, to ask uh, the questions of God that are already in our hearts. Questions like, how long? And why? And to bring those things in faith before the Lord. We see that even in the questioning, even in the lament, even in the complaint that Habakkuk is praying here, that he is exercising um, radical faith because yet again, he's he's going down on his knees and he's going to the presence of the Lord and asking um, for God to respond. And so even when we, we feel like we can't pray anymore, we have nothing left to say, that God's not going to answer um, to continue to go into his presence, as Habakkuk does here, and so he goes. He goes to the Lord, and, and the Lord, the Lord's answer is not uh, the most comforting response in the Scripture. Um, I'm going to read Habakkuk one five through eleven, and then we'll then we'll chop it up a little bit and and talk about what it means. Uh, God says, "Look at the nations and observe." Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands, they fly like eagles swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. When they pass by the, like the wind and when they sweep by like the wind and pass through they are guilty and their strength is their god. So What we see here is that God responds finally to Habakkuk's prayer, but he responds with an unbelievably difficult answer. Um, And we've all been there. You've been there. Maybe uh, it was a dark uh, medical examination room when you got the diagnosis or when um, through a person sitting across the desk from you, or you got a message in your inbox or sitting in your living room or on the phone, you got an answer and God answered your prayer. God responded to your request and his answer was a bitter, hard, and difficult thing for you to accept. And so the questions that Habakkuk's confronting us with, and that God's confronting Habakkuk with, the Lord is confronting Habakkuk with in this text, are the questions of how to respond when we pray for God to stop the spread of the coronavirus, and he says no. Or what if we pray for God to save or protect our loved ones and he says no? What do we do if we pray for God to provide for us financially and we end up going bankrupt? What do we do when we pray for things to get better and God's answer is that it's going to get much worse first? How do we respond in these types of seasons? Um, Because this is what life in this world is like. Often we pray and the opposite happens. How do we respond in those times when the reality doesn't seem to align with the image of our Father, who's promised us all good things, and with the reality of our Savior, who says, "If we ask anything in His name, He we will receive it." These types of questions. These. This is what Habakkuk is wrestling with in this passage with God's answer. He has fasted. He's prayed. He's poured out his heart. He's begged God, and finally God's responded, and and god's god's people the 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 king of god's people all all of the leaders of god's people um after the good king josiah um have abandoned josiah's ways and josiah's worship and josiah's righteousness and and the the revival and the renewal that had happened under Josiah has withered um so much more quickly than you could even have have imagined. Just like um, the prosperity of our culture has withered and, and dried up so much more quickly than we could have even imagined. Just with, with this massive upheaval, um, and and God is 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 responding now to Habakkuk's prayer in in the first three verses, uh, chapter. Excuse me, verses two through four of chapter one, and his answer is not exactly a comforting answer. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, look at the nations and observe and be utterly astounded. Um, there, there, uh, there are four uh, imperatives in this first uh, line of the verse. Remember we talked about how Habakkuk is uh, Hebrew poetry. It's got the jagged edge line on the side, um, whereas narrative would be something like this where it's all block text right here. Um, and so Hebrew poetry uses a, a poetic device called parallelism, and it, and it uses a, a unit of, of text called the line. And so this first line of text says, Look at the nations, observe, and be utterly astounded. Um, and and there, there are four, actually, four um, plural imperatives here. Um, so this is a message that God is giving through Habakkuk to the people. They're plural commands. You all look, see, be astounded, observe. Um, and, and, the, and the reason uh, for that is given next, the next line. Why? Because I am doing something in your days that you wouldn't believe if you heard about it. Now, sometimes we, we read this verse and, and we use it as like a, um, God is going to do something unbelievably good. That the best is yet to come, um, and that is true in an ultimate sense. That is true that in the in the final sense, yes, the best is yet to come. Um, that 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 what's in front of us is going to be immeasurably better than what's behind us. But God's answer here is for the more immediate future, and it's more immediate answer for the immediate future is that the unbelievable work that God is doing is going to be something that is not what Habakkuk wants to hear. Um, this is not unbelievably good news, but in the, in, in the, in the short term, it seems to be unbelievably bad news. Astoundingly difficult. Um, when, when he says this, you wouldn't believe it if told. Uh, one commentator says, the Lord's answer indicates his sovereignty. He is not bound by the listener's whims or by their standards of fairness. He, he responds according to his sovereign will because he is the Lord of history who works in history to accomplish his purpose. When Jesus speaks to the disciples at points, they say, this is hard. Who can accept it? And Jesus's answer is with man it's impossible but with not but not with God um, and so so what we see here is that God must give us faith to respond to the difficult answers to the questions of life um, in isaiah 28 21 the wrath of God is called his strange or alien work um, and and um, we see uh, here that that this is this is the, 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 not the final response of God to his people, but it is the interim response of, God's, of God to his people. Um, and, and so we see here, what is this? We see here this announcement of unbelievable news. And what is this unbelievable response? And that's what we see in verse 6. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. So so his response is, yeah, you think things are bad now. Well, the worst is about to is about to come. The worst is yet to come. That's what his answer is. In the short term, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories that are not its own. So this is right before the the, the a, a 20-year season and ultimately a Uh, a 70-year exile for the people of Israel. There's 20 years where there's three deportations, where Babylon surrounds the southern kingdom of Judah that had been preserved, unlike the northern kingdom of Israel. and, And Judah is surrounded, besieged, and conquered by Babylon. And Babylon deports the people of Judah to Babylon in a wave of three deportations over the course of 19 years, the first one being in 605 BC, the second one being in 597, and the third one being in 586 when Jerusalem finally falls and uh, and the city is destroyed, and that begins 70 years of exile until the temple's rebuilt in 516 BC. Now, if you're not good with dates, just don't, think, don't worry about the, the specifics of the dates. Just know this. Habakkuk is engaging. This, this was written right before the first deportation. Between, there's this four-year interim period between good King Josiah and bad deportation and exile into Babylon. And that is Habakkuk's portion. This is Habakkuk's ministry. This is the season to which he's called. And this is the season where we're called now in this moment of this strange and unprecedented, confusing time of total societal upheaval and shutdown. This is our portion. And what Habakkuk's portion was, was to announce again to the people that God was going to bring discipline upon them for their sin. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That bitter, impetuous—look, look, look—how look it describes um, this this nation, um, bitter, impetuous, marching across the earth's open spaces. So this idea of this army that's just spreading out across the plains of the ancient Near East to seize territories not its own. This imperial, unstoppable army that's that's just conquering Assyria. Are uh, verse eight. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands and fly like eagles swooping to devour. So this idea, this is like in the modern era, it's like tanks and and internet, you know, um, hacking or whatever the the most current method of. Modern warfare would be this the, the Babylonians are technologically advanced, they're militarily powerful, and they are um, ruthless in the execution of their vision of dominating the known world. Verse nine: all th- of them come to do violence, their faces are set in determination, they gather prisoners like sand. So you think of sand like Abram, you know the promise of God to Abram that is his Descendants would be like the the sand of the the seashore. Um, you take a handful of sand. How many grains is that? And they they're just they're just shoveling prisoners like so many grains of sand into their capt into captivity and into into imprisonment and conquest. Verse ten. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. So so powerful rulers that come against them and say hey. Um, you know, we, we, we are going to stand against you. They're just like, yeah. They just, they just laugh it off and they, they just wipe the floor with them. The rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. They sweep, then they sweep by like the wind and pass through and they are guilty. Their God is their strength. Um, and so, so what, what the Lord is doing is saying, you think this is bad. I'm going to bring something that you wouldn't believe if I would told you. I'm going to b- bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And in case you didn't know, they're even worse than you could ever imagine. This is not good news for Habakkuk and the people at this point. Um, their strength is their God. This is the, the, the survival of the fittest, the Darwinian ideology, the secular idolatry, that power is prominent and most most prominent and preeminent. That might makes right. Um, that that winning is all that matters. That getting back at your enemies and, and defeating them and, and owning them is all that matters. This is the ideology of the pagan nations aligned against God's people. And Habakkuk hears this. And I, I just wonder when he first... When he first heard this, when Habakkuk first heard this, I just wonder how I just wonder how he processed it. Because God finally responds after however much he's poured out his heart, he's fasted, he's prayed, he's sought the Lord and God finally responds directly to Habakkuk. And this is the answer. This is God's plan. The the Babylonians are God's chosen ones. And, and we see there the juxtaposition and the reversal of, of the choosing of Israel and then the, the 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 discipline of Israel through the choosing of Babylon. What do we do when, like Habakkuk, we ask God for help, and his answer is unbelievably hard and unbelievably painful. Where do we land when we're falling? Where do we go when our heart's breaking? Well, I think uh, in the context of Habakkuk, and the context of the scripture, we can find three places of hope in a difficult season. Three places of hope in a difficult season. So when the answers that God gives us are answers like he gives Habakkuk here, three places of hope. The first place of hope is that God is both sovereign and good. God is both sovereign and good. That the, ver- the very fact that he is raising up, verse 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, shows that even the most authoritarian, ruthless, powerful empire on the globe is subject to the sovereignty of God. That, that though this is a difficult answer to accept, the comfort in this is that it is not beyond the scope of the sovereignty of God. That's good news. The good news is that no matter how bad things are, that they are not beyond the controlling power of our God. Now, that would be scary and terrifying, except for the fact that God is not only sovereign, but he is good. Um, now, now, in terms of God's sovereignty, someone sometimes the question comes, and I, I get it, uh, why, why people would ask this is, well, if God is sovereign over the, the Babylonians, if God is sovereign over the, the, the bad things that happen in our lives, if God is truly in control, how is God still good and righteous? Um, uh, John Calvin commented on this verse, uh, Habakkuk one, uh, 7, and said, the worst of men are in God's hand as Satan is, and yet God is not implicated in their wickedness. So God is sovereign but he's also good. Some of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, who um, as a teenager, had a I think it was a diving accident and broke her neck and is quadriplegic. And I wrote I read several years ago um, I guess a long, many years ago now read one of her autobiography uh, autobiographical books, and um, she tells the story of of in the early days of that, um, just in the darkness of her hospital room. Just clinging to the hope and saying to herself over and over and over, God is sovereign, God is good. God is sovereign, God is good. This circumstance, my broken neck and my paralysis, God is in control of that and He did it for good. That He is good in and through that circumstance. Whatever you're going through, whatever the answer is, God is sovereign in it and He is good. In it, How is he good in it? Well, I think that brings us to a second place of hope in a difficult season. First is that God is sovereign and God is good. And secondly, that his goodness takes the shape of severe mercy. That God allows temporary suffering for an eternal outcome. That God allows temporary suffering for an eternal outcome. Remember, this is just the first answer. And this isn't the end of the book. And the first answer to your situation might be unbelievably hard, unbelievably painful. The first answer to God's, uh, the first answer to our intercessions for the, the, the world and the church in, in this season may be unbelievably painful. But it is always merciful. And sometimes God's mercy is sweet and sometimes His mercy is severe one writer says the ruthless Babylonians are only an intermediate solution to the problem of injustice. Even though they are God's agent against a corrupt Jerusalem, for the Babylonians will also be destroyed. That God destroys the destroyer. God conquers the conqueror. And maybe you're in a season where God's answering you like this. Maybe our culture's in a season and he certainly is, right? Like, at least for now, God hasn't said, okay, I'm going to stop the spread of the virus. Things are going to go back to normal. Economic prosperity is going to be, you know, m- mowing and blowing like, like it was. The, the, you know, S&P 500 is going to be back up to breaking 3,000. And everyone's stock portfolios are going to be, uh, you know, way up in, in, in the, the growth, growth areas and positive percentage gains. Um, God hasn't done that. He hasn't done that we're stuck at home, many of us, some of us are at work in 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 danger because we're in medical or 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 even in retail or food service and you're you're in a place where you're exposed to danger and we're watching the death rate and the the infection rate of this disease spread constantly and it's just bad news, bad news bad news and so at the very least, on March twentieth two thousand twenty, God hasn't answered our prayers for mercy the way we want him to. But that's not the end of the story. And this isn't the end of Habakkuk's conversation with God. He continues the conversation and he prays and he faithfully protests on behalf of the people. Like Moses, when when on the mountain in Exodus 33, when God says, you know, I'm going to wipe out the people and I'm going to restart with you. And Moses says, no, 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 no. How will the nations know that you have brought us out of Egypt if you wipe us out? God appoints mediators to go between on behalf of his people. Jesus is the great mediator. He received the silent reply of the Father when he, pr- he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in his human nature received no assurance of the Father's love and no sense of the Father's presence. God the Father sent God the Son to mediate for us, His love for us, so that we could be forgiven of our sin and given eternal life, but also His love for His Son incarnate. The Scripture says that, that the cross and the suffering of Christ on the cross was so that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers, that for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. The, cro- the son accepted the cross. Christ accepted the cross and went to the cross because of his love and desire for his church and also for his desire for his joy at the end of it. It was the love of the father and the son for us. And it was love of the father for the son. Maybe God's being severely merciful and he certainly is in ways in this season. He's taking things from us and he's stripping from us the veneer of comfort and ease and predictability. Maybe you feel like he's waiting to give you something or neglecting you. Maybe you feel like he's not responding to your prayers or he is responding and the, the answer is not what you wanted to hear. One commentator on Habakkuk says that the lesson of the history of God's people is that God is not primarily committed to the peace, security, and prosperity of his people. Say that again. God is not primarily committed to the peace, security, and prosperity of his people. God's first concern for us is faithfulness, living by his word, and true worship. So what God wants for you is not necessarily security and prosperity or even the extension of your physical earthly life. What he wants for you is true faith and worship. And the lasting plan God has for his people is that they would be gathered around the throne and worship him in heaven and the new heaven and the new earth. In the context of Habakkuk, what God is doing is he's laying the foundation for his response in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we're going to see, like I said, um, one of the most important verses of the Bible, the just shall live by faith. Um, And that's a cornerstone truth of the gospel itself, that justification, our right-standing forgiveness uh, before God is appropriated by grace through faith, not on on the basis of our works or our righteous actions or our good deeds, but on the basis of Christ, his perfect righteousness, his death for us, his burial and his resurrection alone. Imagine if Habakkuk hadn't continued the conversation and hadn't waited for God and had stopped at the end of chapter 1, verse 11 and said, oh my goodness, I can't deal with a God like that we wouldn't have one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. One writer says, The message of chapter 1 about a coming judgment on Israel must be understood properly, or may be understood properly, only when it is seen as supportive of the message concerning justification by faith found in chapter 2. By the devastation of those who brought themselves to be righteous by their deeds, the foundation is laid for the message of justification by faith alone. What God is doing, he's moving us away from relying on ourselves and moving us and training us to rely on him. There's a man, um, named Sheldon von Auken. And, uh, he married a woman named Jean and they loved each other with tremendous, uh, passionate love. They didn't even want kids cause they just loved being together so much. And they, they went to Oxford and they became friends with CS Lewis and, um, through C.S. Lewis and and um, their, their 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 journey in their season, they converted to Christianity. And Sheldon and his wife Jean began to grow in Christ, but Jean began to become closer to God than her husband. She she began to love God um, more than her husband, uh, and their marriage and their love for each other wasn't. Primary in her heart anymore. And then soon after, what happened is she got sick and she died. C.S. Lewis wrote to Sheldon, the, the widower, and says uh, One flesh or marriage must not and in the long run cannot live to itself any more than the single individual. It was not made any more than he, the individual, to be its own end. It was made for God and in him for its neighbors. One way or another, the thing had to die, the marriage had to die one way or another, it was going to end. Perpetual springtime is not allowed. You were not cutting the wood of life according to the grain. You have been treated with a severe mercy. You have been brought to see how true and very frequent this is that you were jealous of God. What's he saying to Sheldon Van Auken? He's saying that he has made his marriage an idol. And he's worshipped at the, at the foot of the altar of a created institution and a, and a created person, his wife and his marriage. And that his love for his wife and the love they had for each other had become the primary thing in his life. And so what God had done in the pain and the suffering and the tragedy of his wife's untimely death was extricating his heart from that which could not satisfy it forever. God had become first in the, the love and the affection of his wife and in the mysterious mercy of God, God had taken his wife so that God would become first in his affection as well. So the promise in the short term is not necessarily the best ahead. That is, though, a promise for the long term. In the long term, in the severe mercy of God, he's using temporary suffering for an eternal outcome. So how do we respond when God's answer is unbelievably difficult to accept? Remember that God is sovereign and God is good. Secondly, lean into the severely merciful love of God and the temporary suffering that produces eternal glory in our hearts. And then third, the third thing is to remember that God is working even when we don't see it. God's already at work. Um, One writer says, God is already at work. Habakkuk's questions reflect the, dis- the the questions of many people, especially when we deal with personal affronts, difficulties, and disappointments. We desire to know where God is and what he's doing. Habakkuk reminds us that God is at work. He is the Lord of the universe who works to accomplish his purpose in the world and in our lives. This morning, our kids, you know, one of the benefits of the season of homeschooling is that uh, we get to make our own schedule. And so in the morning, the first thing we do after breakfast is we do Bible time and uh, we... Our kid, my kids, they've been reading just a couple chapters or whatever a day. And then what they do is they switch off. They just, just Adeline our nine-year-old, kind of figured this out. And so they read a verse each. And so they read one verse and switch off back and forth, her and Judson, our seven-year-old. And this morning they said, Daddy, you want to do Bible time with us? I said, Sure, I'd love to. And so uh, we're sitting there reading. And the, and the reading was in Genesis 24. Genesis 24 is the story of Abraham um, sending his servant to get a wife for his son Isaac. And his servant goes to Abraham's family to, to seek a wife for Isaac. And he begins to ask the Lord to bring a woman. And with certain circumstances, that'll bring, draw water from the well for, for him and for the camels as well. And in Genesis twenty four fifteen, it says, Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah. Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah that before he can even finish his request, God's already answering it. There was a time in my life where I was um, in just in a dark place and, and just sad and really just lonely. I was uh, single and um, just wondering what God was doing and um, wondering what the heck was happening. Um, and uh, and I was talking to my dad, and, um, and he told me a story um, and he told me the story about every year our church in Northern California would go to Tijuana in Mexico, near Tijuana in the slums of Tijuana and build houses for Christian families and um, uh, we'd arrive there and we in three days we would find we'd find there on on the plot of land a concrete slab waiting for us and we would build the house in three days. And what he said, Danny, I don't know if you've ever thought about what the family that we build the house for experiences and I was a selfish teenager and early 20-year-old. So, of course, I never thought about what they were going through. Um, and and he, he said they've gotten this good news that they're going to have this house built and they're living in this makeshift shelter made out of t- pallets and dirt floors and maybe cardboard. And they see members of the team in Mexico come in and they frame up the, the the area for the slab and they pour out and they mix the concrete and they make pour out the slab. And they're so excited. And and, and they can't wait to see their house built. And they, they watch as that slab Dries and hardens in the in the hot Mexican sun, and and they think um, our house is under construction. It's about to happen. Well, that that slab may have been poured weeks or or more before the team gets there to build the house. And after a while, they think I thought they were coming to build us a house, but all I can see is this slab of concrete. Um, And what they can't see, what they can't see is there's this team from this church in Northern California, and they're having meetings they're getting immunizations, they're pur- purchasing plane tickets, they're reserving rental vans, they're, they're buying supplies, they're getting packed, they're preparing and they're planning and they're purchasing building material, they're, 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 they're planning meals, they're, they're planning the trip. They can't see any of that. All they can see is the slab with nothing built on it. What they can't see is that God's already answering their prayer just in a place they can't see. Then one day this van full of gringos pulls up and all of these people, most of whom who don't know their head from a hammer or a hole in the ground, put together a beautiful house for them in less than three days. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like the promises of God and you're reading the promises of God and you're, you're in the scripture and you're looking at these things God has promised to his people and all you can see is a slab of concrete when you're expecting a house. And it looks like he's abandoned the job and he, he's, that he's a bad contractor who didn't fulfill his obligations. And you're stuck with a partially fulfilled promise. But you need to remember in those seasons is that God is a father who never abandons his children. That God is working even when we can't see it. That God's promises are true. Keep waiting and keep trusting even when his answer is unbelievably difficult in the short term. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Habakkuk and for his testimony and your testimony to Habakkuk. I ask, Lord, that you would just...